So tonight we're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 12. And we left off last week. We were in the middle of Jesus answering. He was, the guy came to him and said, hey, tell, tell uh, my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And he said, you know, I'm not an arbitrator. And then he began to give that teaching about take heed according to covetousness. And we saw that. And then he spoke the parable, and we saw that. And then he addressed his disciples in verse 22 of chapter 12. So the context was he's speaking to his disciples, to believers, that he's got our back, and he's going to provide for us, and he knows what we need, and the Father knows what we need, and we need to seek first the kingdom, and he's got our back, not to be afraid, he's going to take care of us. And we left off on verse 30, with verse 34, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Which was an interesting uh, point to cut the text last week because it's still in a red letter Bible. There's still red letters. He's still in a thought process saying stuff, but he does shift gears because once he says your, where your treasures, your heart will be also, he shifts gears to talking about watching and ready. So there's a a huge theme change in the midst of what he's saying to the disciples at this point. So we want to keep that in mind. And now we pick it up in verse 35. So Jesus says this, Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch, and find them so blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So clearly here Jesus is talking about his second coming, because he tells the disciples that he's returning. He's talking about his second coming. The Son of Man is a title that's his, and he says that he's coming at an hour when we do not expect. And since he's speaking to his disciples, and since the Great Commission was to them to go make disciples of all nations and teach them all things that he had taught them, this has that application for the church in every generation, including us here tonight on this August 11, 2018. So he starts off shifting gears from living for eternity and storing up treasures in heaven because our heart will follow those treasures. And he says, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And in the context of that culture, of course, a lot of times the guys wore robes. They wore longer garments. And they gird up their waist when they had work to do or they were running. They would gird up the, the robe, if you will, so you picture going out like a bathrobe or something when you're staying at a hotel and you got your got the bathrobe and you're walking down the pool area and you're feeling pretty good about this vacation you're on and suddenly there's a fire alarm goes off and there's panic and you got to run. You like kind of you'd have to make an adjustment because it's it's hard to run like that. So that whole idea of girding up your robe and we're also told to gird up our minds, the loins of our mind as well. We just saw that in Peter. So that's very cultural and contextual. The idea is like you know prepare yourself for action. Gird, gird, gird yourself. So the context, Jesus says, let your waist be girded. Be ready for action. Be ready for something to happen. And be ready to act upon things happening when they happen. And your lamps burning bright. So that means like the lights are on. 
Okay, so that's the idea like the lamp's on, lamp's burning bright, we're not in the dark, we're not sleeping, but we're alert, the light is on. And contextually, Jesus tells the example of, of the boss going away, the homeowner going away to a wedding or something, and he's going to return at any time, and you leave the lights on. Many of you with adult kids can relate to this. You know, when the, um, Ruth Graham Bell said that she always, she would never go to bed till Franklin came home. And of course, Rebel with a Cause, the famous book about Franklin Graham and uh, not living for the Lord. And look at him now. We're just talking about Operation Christmas Child. But she would always leave the lights on, and she would not go to bed till he was home. And that's the way it was. That's the way it was with all the Graham children. And with adult children and having them coming and going in our family over the years, going away to college, coming home from college on break, going back to college, you know, Timmy's in Europe, now he's back, and then he'd go to Alaska, and now he's got a new job in Long Beach, and and, um, you know, it's funny because if Timmy's in Europe for three months, you don't lose sleep over it. But if Timmy's living in the shed, and I got to let you know, it's not the shed like you get at HQ, right? Or, you know, or HQ's Virginia Home Depot. Uh, it's, it's not a tin shed. It looks like a house. It's like a granny flat that the former owners built. And uh, so, he, you know, he's had a room out there before, and he's got a little air conditioner. So don't, don't picture the shed like we're cruel and unusual punishment. He's in the tool shed with the lawnmower and all that kind of stuff. He's, he's got it good, man. For a Euro backpacker, he's got it really good, capital R, really good, okay? We, yeah, so, <laughs> but when Timmy's home, and he's out at the Orange County Fair with his friends, like Christian Warden or something, well, you know, no, we just can't really go to bed. We've gotten better at it, you know, but uh, the light's on. The light's on. We're anticipating Timmy coming home. It'd be the same thing when Luke would be coming back from school at Grand Canyon. He's going to arrive like at 2 in the morning. What do you do? You leave the lights on. We have the light we leave on here, but there's the porch light that's left on when we're expecting someone to come in the night. We want them welcome and coming. And in many cases, particularly when Timmy was at Grand, uh, excuse me, at uh, Cal State Maritime, and we knew he was coming home like at one or two, I would want to stay up and just give my son a hug when he came through the doors. And you parents that have adult kids can relate to that. I just, especially if they've gone away, I just would want to, I just want to give Timmy a hug. He'd be like, hey, Dad. I'd be like, hey, what's, I mean, he just drove from the Bay Area, right? The five, button willow, all that kind of, I'd be like, hey, Timmy, I love you, man. It's good to have you. Okay, Dad. You know, is there anything to eat? You know, that kind of stuff. But you're just so excited. So it has that idea, except... It'd be like if Timmy's watching the house and dad's coming home. You got to flip it because, like, the boss is coming home, right? So the light's on. Hey, boss is coming home. Hey, I mean, Luke's a witness. I used to say all the time, there's very few rules in our house, but that mom comes home from working at Calvary at 4 in the afternoon, there are no dirty dishes in that sink, and the kitchen is clean. When Jennifer goes to work, at, when she worked at MCA and she'd leave at 6.30 in the morning, she, she'd get off at 3.45. She'd be home by 4 if she was just right on target. And it was the number one supreme rule. Mom does not come home to dirty dishes in the sink and a dirty house. It has to be in order. Everything's in order. Ready for the master of the house to come home. And our waist is girded and the lamp is burning bright. This is, that's how that would relate in our society as we think about things for us, right? You guys at the work, you're in a construction job and the, the, the foreman's coming soon. And you want to be working. You don't want to be around slouching. You want to be ready for the boss to show up and you want to be on point and not putting on a show, but really be doing what you're supposed to do. See, that's the whole idea here is that girded, lamp on. This is the context. Jesus has given us an illustration from that culture about his return. 
So now let's bring it to us here tonight where we're at. Talked about a few weeks ago about generations. There's a generation that had Jesus walking the earth with them, God himself in the flesh on planet earth with his first coming. That generation is unique and distinguished from all other generations. And then the last generation is also unique and distinguished from all other generations. And everything else is just in between the bookends. The bookend begins the church age, that first generation that, of the Jews that rejected Jesus, but those who believed in him, and then the Gentiles grafted in. And then the last generation that's living for Jesus before the trumpet sounds, and he comes for his church. That generation's distinct as well in the Bible. Until then, it's one generation of the church after the other, passing the baton like a relay race to the next generation as we just move through time and generations, decades, uh, centuries, and that's how it works, okay? So, obviously, Jesus hasn't come back. Pastor Chuck was excited about Jesus coming back. Pastor Chuck approached church and ministry at Calvary Costa Mesa like Jesus was going to come back, like right now, during this service, okay? And, uh, but Jesus came back for Chuck, and Chuck went to be at the Lord, what, three, four, almost four years ago now. And so, that's a really good model for us as far as of Christ, whether we're young or old, that we are living with the anticipation of Christ's return, waist girded, lamp burning bright, and we're eagerly ex ex expecting and excited for his return, and what it means, because righteousness will cover the world as waters cover the sea, which is really good, because as Jack was praying about turmoil and all this confusion, everything's made just and, and perfect and true when Jesus comes to reign, and it's the end of all evil, it's the end of all injustices. So it's a really good thing, WG, for Jesus to come back, and he'll clear all, it's the year of Jubilee too, so he'll clear all debts, it's all going to be good. It's a good thing. But the church is to be watching, ready, girded, lamps burning bright. That's, that's what Jesus is teaching here for every church age. And we want to be anticipated. I think it was like George Mueller, who lived in the 1800s and was the man of faith that fed thousands of orphans every day through faith and how the food was provided. But he died at 92. And George Mueller was absolutely convinced Jesus was going to come back in his timeline. And he did everything as if this is the day that the Lord's coming back for him. And then the Lord did come back for George Mueller over 100 years ago. So we might have the Lord come for all of us as the church with the trumpet sounding and the rapture being caught up to be at the Lord before the, the that final 70th week of Daniel happens, known as the Great Tribulation. We might have that come in our timeline. It might come in Zippy's timeline, our one-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter. Yeah, I mean, she goes 80 years. She got 79. That's a pretty good clip. That's almost the entire century right now. Seems like that would go that way. Uh, but he might not. He might not come till later. Of course, he could come tonight. But one thing we know for sure is, if Zippy lives a full life and I live a full life, he's sure coming for me before he's coming for her, right? And let me tell you, if you didn't figure it out, he's coming for you before he comes for your grandkids, if they live a rich, full life. We all have our timeline. And the key thought that Jesus has here is to be watching and ready for his return. He said, blessed is the servant in this parabolic uh, man, he said, blessed is the servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching, verse 37. So what could be better than having Jesus coming back on a good day, right? We talk about good days, bad days. Life is like a baseball game, right? A baseball season. Some, some nights, you just, you got it. Some nights, even the best pitchers, even Kershaw gets pulled in the second inning sometimes. You just, you just don't got it. And for me, I'm just like, I'd like to be having a good day when the Lord comes. I'm not going to be accepted before the Lord, nor you, because you feel a little extra righteous that day, because it's a good day. We're accepted because of him and our position of righteousness through faith in him. Still, I'd like a good day. 
And if I'm having a bad day, I want my head in the game. You follow me? Like, even if we're having a really bad day, I want my head in the game. I want to know what inning it is, who's at the bat, what the count is, and where the cutoff man's going to be when this ball is hit to me in left field. That's what it means to be girded with your lamp burning. That we all have good days and bad days, and we even have ugly days. And sometimes we have great days. But the idea is that we're always ready for the day of the Lord. Be watching ready. Who is that woman? Who is that man who's ready for the Lord's return? Who is that servant? Who is that person? Tuesday night we talked about that uh, the pastors are called to be servants, but we all have a, a, a place to serve in the local church. But who, who's that person watching? Like, when we think about the Lord's return, are we kind of like, like anticipative? Like, when you know a check's coming in the mail? We all know that one, right? The check's in the mail. And the bigger the check, the more anticipative you are for the postman to come, because you're waiting for that check, you're looking for that check. And you get so excited, you go out there, and the check's not there, like, man. And then, like, you, you have, like, a cutoff, like, when the check doesn't arrive by Thursday, then you're going to call those people back, right? And maybe ask them to issue a new check or wire transfer the funds, right? You know that one? Come on, don't tell me I'm the only person that's been in this boat before. When they, you know, like, you, you, hey, meal man, so you run out there, here it is, here's the check, yeah, right? You know, it's like anticipative, waiting. Whatever we've experienced in the human experience, nothing's going to be better for the person that lives for the Lord and lives with their treasures in heaven and their hearts there. Nothing's going to be better than when the Lord comes for us. That was the mindset Pastor Chuck had when he said, if I drop dead, don't you dare bring me back, right? He used to joke about that. Uh, and he's like, Pastor Chuck, come back, come back. He's like, no, no, not coming back. And we'll let all the family drama, all the Calvary drama, all the life drama, all the U.S. government drama, all the global U.N. drama, all the Israel drama, all the Euro drama, we'll just let that play out after I'm gone. Because the, play, the presence of the Lord, to be absent from the body is with the Lord, and that's better than all the drama. The drama of this day is our drama. It's not Pastor Chuck's drama. He's in glory. And there might be drama for Zippy's day and, our, and others of those, these kids that we love and care about and that come to church here. There might be drama that Jake and Leah face 30 years from now and I'm gone. That's their drama. I'm with the Lord. I'm in glory. You see, see what I'm saying? Like, who then is that woman, that man who's girded, has a lamp burning and is anticipative? I think that's a key word, anticipative. I wrote that down here, to be anticipative. Through spending time with the Lord in prayer and reading his word and, and just having that sense that humanity is going to change in one day. And by the way, doesn't humanity know it's all going to change in one day? Why do you think like things like 2012, the Yellowstone supervolcano, you know, planet Nibiru, why do you think all these things uh, uh, just captivate humanity? Because there's a sense in us, Solomon said that God's put eternity in our hearts, but we also know there's like a big boom boom at the end. I think it's in us. We know it. There's a boom, boom coming. There is, you know, it's like, it's, it's there. God's put eternity in our hearts. And I think deep within our hearts, we all know there's a boom, boom coming at the end, in the end game. And Revelation makes very clear. There is a big boom, boom coming, right? So we have that sense. And the planet knows, I, I believe most people will God puts eternity in our hearts, so it might be suppressed. We might deprave because we reject it, Romans 1, but it's there, that there's an end. There's an end for humanity and the evil of humanity. Now, reading Solomon's dedication of the temple this morning around oh, 900 B.C., so almost 
3,000 years ago. When the Spirit of God met him there, it's amazing to think the Holy Spirit fell upon them and him. Think about that. Wow. And he said that, God, that this building would represent your truth, your justice. In the bad day, your people, when they've done wrong, they would find look to this place and find forgiveness and hope and healing and comfort, and your mercies would be here. But this would be a place of justice and truth. He asked the Lord to give him wisdom that he could be a king of justice and truth. Well, Jesus is that king. Solomon's a poor prototype. Jesus is the fullness. The promises God made to David that an heir would always be there and his kingdom would have no ending, it went way past Solomon and his Egyptian wife. It goes to Jesus in the virgin birth. And it goes to his second coming. And when Jesus reigns, trust me and take this to the day of the Lord, all is made good. And I promise you tonight, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ and a true shepherd, that everything Jesus Christ does with the day he arrives and splits the Mount of Olives is capital G-O-O-D, good. Because God is good. And every wrong that's ever happened in time, space, and matter will be made straight. And every galaxy that's out of order with billions of them, and every planet that's off its kilter because of the sin of Adam, it will all be made right. And it will all be good. So we should be girded, and we should have the lamp burning, because when Jesus comes to set up his kingdom, it's, it's good news. And as good as good news is going to sound on Anaheim Stadium with Greg Laurie next week, this is the ultimate good news. It's the fullness of all things when Jesus comes. And it's the establishment of the kingdom, and we enter into those things that God has for us for all eternity. And he can come for the church, and he will come for the church but he'll come for each one of us individually like he did with Pastor Chuck. So the best way to live life is the anticipation that today could be the day of the Lord. And the previous verse said our treasure's in heaven, and where our treasures our heart will be also. So our treasure's in heaven, we wake up thinking about where's our treasure? Heaven. We're not thinking about the check coming in the mail. We're thinking about our treasure in heaven and being heirs of the estate through Jesus Christ and faith in him. We're anticipating going to heaven. We're excited about the kingdom. And we're excited about perfect justice and truth and equity for all humanity on this planet. We talked about this a couple weeks ago when Jesus said there's nothing hidden that won't be revealed. He's going to set it all straight. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be glorious. We, eyes not seen nor ear heard those wonderful things that God has prepared for that day, but it's coming. And as beautiful as the life of Christ is in his first coming as a suffering servant, think how beautiful his second coming is when he comes on the horse as king of kings and lord of lords and split the mount of olives i saw that video of like a missile coming into israel yesterday and they got it they intercepted it and if you saw it it's just massive boom unbelievable boom i thought oh my goodness and all the people are terrified and they're screaming the citizens of israel and i thought man wait till jesus comes and splits the mount of olives that's the boom boom and it's a lot than that boom but that's a loud boom. If you see that video clip, that's a heavy-duty thing. That's a scary thing. But that's nothing. Because Jesus doesn't come as an act of terror. He comes in blessing. And the only ones that should be terrorized of the Lord are those who commit terror against the Lord and upon humanity. Those who trust in the Lord. He's peace. He's the Prince of Peace. 
It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. So blessed are those whom his master finds, verse 37. And, you know, we don't want to slack off. Like, that's what he says. He says, verse 40, the application, I mean, it's a, it's a built-in application. We don't have to go digging around. Hey, Pastor Joey, what's the application? It's right there. Therefore, you be ready. For the Son of Man is coming an hour when you do not expect. We know the planet's going to say, peace, peace. And then that, now the planet's been saying, peace, peace, more than once in the last 30 years. But they're going to really think they got the peace without the Lord. One least expected. Because sometimes we think, like, how can the Lord not be coming back? The whole planet's just completely warbled right now. Everything about the planet's so weird, it's like a science fiction movie. It really is. But we function within dysfunction. The, the nations, the countries, humanity. We're like ants that get blasted at a picnic and they just rebound. Humanity is just, it's amazing to me. We live with abnormality long enough, we think that's normal. This planet's so abnormal right now, it's unbelievable. And yet it goes on with function. Within dysfunction, there's function in our society and in our planet. Man finds a way to govern man no matter what's going wrong with man. But in the end, he's coming an hour when we least expect it. And it's, it's just going to be unbelievable when he comes. It's only going to happen once. But you see, we can be fretting about who's the president, who's not the president. We can be fretting about who's the governor, who's not the governor. How are we going to pay our rent? How are we not going to pay our rent? Am I going to get the raise? Is my starting pay good enough? Am I going to get a job? Am I not going to get a job? Do I get accepted to this college? Is, are we going to have a safe delivery? Is it going to be this, going to be that? You know, like all these different things that we can fret when, you know, like the day of the Lord is tomorrow. The day of the Lord is today. The things that we fret about and we go into anxiety over, we just need perspective that the Lord could come for us right now. And when we get comfortable on earth, we tend to be less inclined for the kingdom to come. But when we're really agitated and going through trials and tribulations, we tend to be more desirous of the Lord to come. But either way, whether we want him to come or don't want him to come, whether we are looking forward to eternity or not looking forward to eternity, eternity is coming, and it's coming for all of us. So all humanity, the sun's coming. Each one of us individually, 180,000 people step into eternity today. I believe that's the round number approximately. 180,000 people stepped into eternity today. It's a lot of people stepping into eternity. It's the way it is. So the exhortation is to be watching ready, not in a negative way, but in a good way. Just in a good way. Think how football, fans of football can't wait for the draft to see who their first-round draft pick is for the Patriots or the Chargers or the Rams. It's like, come on, man. Let's be excited about the king coming and establishing the kingdom. You know what I'm saying? For real. Like, what we get excited about, there's nothing more worthy to be excited about than Jesus Christ coming for us. That's it. So moving on, he says this. Peter said, verse 41, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? That's a good question. Peter's never afraid to speak up, is he? And Peter's like, okay, hang on a time out. Hang on a second. And the Lord said to him in verse 42, who then is that faithful and wise servant, uh, steward, whom his master will find ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? In other words, who's being faithful? Well, verse 43, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, hmm, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat 
the male and female servants and to eat, drink, and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and an hour when he's not aware and will cut him into and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not um, prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes, but he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall um, be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required, and to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five and one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father and mother against daughter and daughter against mother-in-law, mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. It is interesting when Jesus spoke after Peter asked the question, is this just for us or for everybody? Jesus didn't even answer. You catch that? Jesus does that. You know, like, you know, a lot of times when people ask Jesus questions, he asks them questions. Let me ask you this. The baptism of John is of, of men or of God, right? You know, it's like, oh, okay, I didn't see that coming, right? So Peter asks him a question, and God, the Lord Jesus doesn't really answer it. He just keeps on rolling like, hmm, okay, and just keeps going like an orientation, like, ah, and keeps going. And I like that, because, you know, sometimes we're praying to the Lord. Lord, uh, is it, and, and like the Lord's like, he didn't, it seems like there's silence. Just, just listen. You know, what's he saying? And uh, think about it, reflect upon it, and consider what it means to you in your life and your relationship with the Lord. So Peter never got the answer. We know what Jesus said prior to that was what we just studied was for the disciples, followers of Christ. But this, Jesus doesn't answer it. He just says, who then is that faithful and wise steward? Who, and, you know, and you know me well enough to know I say this fairly often. Who is that faithful and wise servant? Like, KNS, you know, who is it? Like, I want to be that person. You want to be that person. Like, the Holy Spirit knows this day, like, it wouldn't be hard for the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's, it's already known. Holy Spirit, distinguish on this day on planet Earth, 8 billion people, who is the faithful steward and who is not. It's as easy as knowing who's born again and who's not to identify by God's uh, knowledge who, who really is faithful in that way. And it's easy to start off strong and then slack off and put it in, in autopilot or cruise control. That service says, ah, you guys get to work, do your job, whatever, and, and just get uh, lazy, for lack of a better term, and not be sharp to get fuzzy and lose your focus and not be sharp about the purpose of the day, the value of the day, and the things God wants to do with this day, the doors that are open, the doors that are closed, and the opportunities and redeeming the time for the days are evil. It's really easy to find cruise control. And again, more often than not, it's when things are going good that we find cruise control. In fact, God warned Israel about when they're well taken care of about departing from the Lord in the Old Testament in the Mosaic Covenant. He said, you know, when you guys things got good, you're going to harden your hearts and whatever. And God even reproved through the, uh, through the prophets. He said, but Israel grew fat and lazy. He actually used that terminology uh, in the things of God. And, and so um, he used terminology that we can all understand. We're, we're exhorted in this passage because, again, he said, who is that faithful servant? And then he said in verse 43, blessed is that servant. So, again, 
He said previously, blessed is that servant. And here again, he says, blessed is that servant. So to be the servant of the Lord that's watching and ready for the return of the Lord, Jesus says that's a blessing. And to be the servant who is faithfully doing what God's entrusted to him, Jesus says that is the blessing. So the question arises, what is it that God has for us to be doing that we are under the blessing and that we really are being faithful because these are parabolic uh, contexts here, these stories. What does that mean to us on August 11th in you know, 2018? What does that look like for the church here? Well, when we think about God's will, those New Testament writings are very clear. Like There's a universality of what our sanctification looks like and growing as a follower of Christ. Put off the old man, put on a new man. You know, let no more coarse jesting, filthy speaking come from your mouth, but rather words that are edifying and comforting for those who hear that. It's like Ephesians and Colossians and stuff like that. So it's, it's not really difficult to understand the type of character that reflects Christ in a day-to-day life for women and men who confess Jesus Christ. It's not that difficult. Um, it's, it's very clear. But then we say, okay, well, the will of the Lord, like personally, what that will looks like, it does vary from person to person when we're trying to discern God's will. I mean, our own family, we're praying for God's timing on the grandbaby to be born. In our own family, you know, Timmy came back from Norway. The day he comes back, his old job is offered to him by the uh, Harley Tugs up in uh, Dutch Harbor in Alaska, but that's not really where, you know, he, he doesn't feel led that way. We're waiting on the Lord. Connor's boss says he could maybe get a job. Uh, you know, he's just trying to discern what God has. He's, he's just had the flight from Europe. He's like, Dad, what do I do? And I was like, listen, email your former boss up in Alaska. Tell him you just got back. You're nine hours out of the time zone, and you'll, you'll get a good night's sleep and get back with him. I said, Luke, you, Timmy, you just got to have a good night's sleep, spend some time with the Lord, and determine what you want to do. And sure enough, the next day, you know, middle of the day, he's like, yeah, I, I don't want to go back to Alaska. But trying to discern God's will, you know. And I'm thinking, like, you know, as a dad, I'm like, oh, I just, you know, my son hasn't worked for three months. I want to see him working, you know. And, uh, but Jennifer's like, well, yeah, but do we want him on a ship in the middle of Alaska with five other guys on a tug, you know, for the next two months? Don't we want him around the church, people that love the Lord? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I'm like, yeah, I, you know, who knows? Who's sufficient to know? How can we know? Timmy needs to know. He needs to seek the Lord. And then he got the job and off he goes. You know, through Connor, it all worked out, you know, and it's good. It's a good thing, but we don't always know. When you apply for colleges, like, Jack, you probably apply for more than one, right? I mean, unless you just hit the payload right off the bat. You know, it's like, our kids have applied for colleges. It's like, all of our kids, two, three, four colleges. You know, it's like, Cal State Fullerton, UCI, right? You know, San Diego State, these things. And, and they cost money every time you apply, too, right? You know, it's not that much money, but still, it's like, um, you're just trying to figure out God's will. But you got to go for it. You got to take steps of faith. You got a vision. You got to take the first step in the direction of the vision, you can't be afraid. You can't be crippled by fear or unbelief. You got to go for it, man. You got to go for it. Who is that faithful, wise servant? So we know the character of Christ is always part of being that faithful servant when the master returns. That if we're growing in Christ and we're reflecting the character of Christ, woman or man, young girl, young man, uh, older woman, older man, if we're reflecting the character of Christ, that's always in and that's always God's will. But how that plays out in our personal lives, that's part of the journey. And that's why we're meant to depend upon the Lord to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and then he'll add to us the things that we need for our life but he does say that um 
that the master who knew verse 47, the will, and did not prepare himself, that one's going to get a beatdown, a more severe beatdown. And so then he says, to whom much is committed, there's a greater accountability. And then, like, your first response might be like, wow, man, that's heavy. Like, who wants to have that extra accountability? Listen, man, this, this is where I really speak from my heart as a dad, uh, as a former pro athlete, as an Olympic coach, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as a husband married for 30 years. Listen, man, you cannot ever move from fear in fear. You need to move from faith and have faith. You cannot be afraid to take the shot. You need to be relentless and, and fully all in and going for it. You cannot double clutch and overthink it. You need to just absolutely go after it. That's what you need to do. The just woman shall live by faith. The just man shall live by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. There is an element of not knowing in everything God does, not knowing exactly how it's going to play out, but knowing who is in charge of it and calling us to do it as it does play out. You got to go for it. How many people regret their life near the end when they realize they didn't take the steps of faith and they didn't go on that mission trip when they could have when they were young and they, and they resisted the call of the Lord this way and they didn't make themselves available for that and it was always next week or next month or next year I'm going to do this. Man, life is short. You got to go for it. We need to go for it with the Lord. Just go set up for labor of love. Try and get someone to go to Harvest Crusade with you. You know, like you got to go for it. We have to go for it. We can't be in fear because what we want to be found doing when the Lord comes back is doing his work. Just being who we are meant to be in Christ. Being faithful wherever he's planted us to reflect Christ and not being ashamed of Christ and, and being just in tune with how he wants to use us in the environment and the places that he's put us. So we say, who is that faithful and wise servant? Well, we're told in Colossians, whatever we do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. And I'll tell you this much about the quality, the, the wise servant. That woman does a quality job at whatever she does, as unto the Lord. That man does a quality job. When the Lord comes back, it's as basic as this. He finds you going to work on time, and he finds you going to work with the right attitude. He finds you going to work doing the job right. He finds you going to work and making the workplace a better environment than how you found it. He finds you moving on from that job to the next job, that that work environment was better that you worked there than it was before you ever came, and you've left it better. That's easy stuff. That's not, it's not complicated. It's simplicity. It's the, it's the quality. It's the simplicity of doing a good job as best you know how, whatever God's called you to do. Under promise and over deliver. Show up early. Do the job right. Or this morning... As I saw Timmy going to work early to go to Long Beach Harbor, put your boots on and be on time and do what the boss tells you to do. And that's going to honor the Lord. That's what God wants. That's how we do it. That's what he honors. That's going to be blessed by the Lord. We had a guy working on the shed, getting it ready for Timmy because we did some new things with the shed. And he comes from a missionary family in a foreign country. And he showed up early. He looked at it, and he says, I can do this, this, and this. He actually looked at it a week ago and said, I can do that for this amount of money at this wage an hour. All right. Shows up when he said he'd show up. Does the job he said he would do. Did it extremely well. Was not able to finish it because there's a couple little things with the trim that he couldn't finish. 
We basically knocked out a wall and put in a new door for Timmy in the shed because it was a two-bedroom shed. We cut off the part that's not insulated for storage, gave him a wall where the AC all works. Now he's got his little pad. It's like a granny flat, kind of, but without a restroom. And, um, but it's his space. And then the guy says, I'll be back tomorrow to finish the job. And the hours exceeded what I bid, but I'm not going to charge you for that because I told you I was going to do it for this price. Man, you know, God bless people like that in the year of our Lord, 2018 actually keep their word? You know, it's hard for me to watch all these football coaches that commit to five-year contracts when they get a better offer in two years, they leave this school in the Mountain West to go to that school in the Southeast Conference. I mean, John Wooden was a coach at UCLA because he said he would do it, and then the job he really wanted was Minnesota in the Big Ten, and that call came an hour later after he committed to UCLA, and he did not change his word. He went to UCLA, and the rest is history. We do our job. Who's that faithful, wise servant? The one who shows up on time, listens, and does the job. For the last two days, I watched Timmy start his new job. He needed to be there at 80s up at 5.30 in the morning getting ready. A little pot of coffee, flat top, old school style, like he's on a ship. And he's out the door because there's no longer as we take him to get to work in Long Beach. You never show up late the first day. You should never show up late ever. And then today, Connor said, you know, you know, it's an orientation, it's computer work, but he said they might just throw us on the boat. He's putting his boots on. Isn't there something beautiful about watching your adult son leave the house early? Bruce, you know what I'm saying? Putting the boots on. And going to work on a Saturday morning, second day of the job. That's what I'm talking about right there. Do your job and do it well. That's the faithful wise servant. The character of Christ and a job well done. A job well done with the character of Christ. Let Christ be glorified in everything you do and let your reward be from the Lord. Whether or not men reward it or not doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter. The Lord knows our faithfulness. When he comes and sets everything straight, he's going to set it straight. In a culture of entitlement and enablement where people don't keep their words, man, if you and I, and we raise our children and our grandchildren to do the same thing, and we step into eternity to the character of our words, the character of our life is Christ, and the fruit of our character is faithfulness to the task that we've committed to, we have lived a good, full life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, watch my wife get up. That motorcycle go by at 5 to 6 every morning. That'd be like the alarm clock going off Monday through Friday. The motorcycle goes by. My wife would get up no matter what. No matter what, migraine headache, no matter what's going on, she'd get up. She'd be out that door at a certain time, and she'd unlock that door at 7.15 in the morning at 3800 South Fairview Avenue to open the office for MCA Elementary and Calvary Chapel Junior High School every single day. And she would often be the last person leaving when the job was done. And she also could compartmentalize what wasn't done, right? Me, I think about it all night. Like She'd be like, no, it'll be there tomorrow at 7.15, Right? Man, that's the best witness. What, we've been studying Peter on Tuesday nights. What does God say through Peter? Hey, do your job. And, and if you get beat up or you have trouble for doing good, good for you. There's a blessing in it. But if you get beat up for being late for work and being stupid and evil, that's your own problem. That has nothing to do with the Lord. Quality job. The world does quality job usually with the effort to get more money. We do a quality job because we want to glorify Christ. And 
when he finds that master, when the master comes and finds those faithful servants, if you're just treating people properly and you're treating the people you serve properly and you're a servant leader and it's not about how to make more money from them as their consumers, but their souls and you see them as souls that God cares about and sent his son to die for, when you see them that way, you are living life because you've lost your life and you've found it in Christ. Because when you see people that are lost souls instead of consumers that you can take from, you have found life. You have found the life that's to be made and lived in Christ. Christ isn't a means to an end and people aren't a means to an end. Christ is the end. He's the beginning and the end. He's the author and finisher. Let the Lord find us doing what we are called to do. And in the end, we saw there in verse 49 through 53, that sort of bonus verse where he said, I came to set a fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. It's like, yeah, because there is a contrast between people living for the Lord and people not living for the Lord. And even if you're the best employee, some companies just don't want you there. Even if you're the best neighbor imaginable, some people don't want that. They don't want the person living for eternity living next door to them. And what can you do? And even if you're the best daughter-in-law someone could be, or the best daughter someone could be, or father or father-in-law, Christ divides. And he certainly divided this generation of Israel. And what can you do? I mean, what can you do? The world's already divided between faith and unbelief. Christ just makes the distinction more clear. And there is a division. There's a division the worldview of Greg Laurie and Harvest Crusades is a definite worldview that most of what takes place at Fashion Island and the people that go there. If you're not familiar with the story, there's threats against Fashion Island and they took down the billboards and all that. It was national news. You just Google it. It's Fox News, national, it's local news. And it's good for Greg. He just gets more publicity, more people are coming to the stadium next week for sure. And Greg's like, all right. You know, it's like Chuck's somewhere up there going, ha, 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 ha. You know, it's just like he catches the wiser own craftiness, right? But there's always going to be conflict. We can't. What are you going to do? And we close off with these last few verses. Then he said to the multitude, so now he shifts gears. He didn't tell Peter who he's speaking to, but now he's speaking to the multitude. He says, whenever, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, hey, there's a coastal eddy. No, there, there will be hot weather, and there it is. Hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern time, this time? Yes, and why, even of yourselves, do you not judge what is right? When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, that is the judge, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge, the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there until you have paid the very last might. Now, this is a funny passage on the back end of this chapter. I, it's not funny, like, ha-ha, it's a little peculiar. Like, and I was looking at this going like, I mean, I've been reading this for two weeks, trying to figure out this passage piggybacked in this context in this gospel at this point. In fact, I was listening to Chuck's message from 20 years ago on this chapter from a Sunday night, and he didn't say much about it. <laughs> But I'll tell you what I do see in spending time with the Lord on these last few verses. That generation could discern weather, but they didn't discern, discern that the Lord's time was now. And this generation can discern a lot of things in the information age, but we often don't discern it is the last days and the things that mark the last day. But that's not what has had me scratching my head for a few weeks. It's this make things right with your adversary on the way to the magistrate. But I do believe... I understand why this is here. 
Because if Jesus is going to sound the trumpet for his church, he doesn't want us in unresolved litigation. If Jesus is coming for you tonight, he doesn't want you bitter and malicious towards someone and headed for court over this and that about some temporal thing that God would prefer that you just give it to him and let him resolve it. So the best application I can give you on the back end of this is, since our treasures, where our treasures, our heart will be also, and if our treasure is in heaven, we don't need God, we don't need to be fighting for our treasures on earth. God is the best lawyer, he is the best advocate, and he's the best defense. And I look at this and he's just saying, you know what, make sure you're ready for the day of the Lord. Make sure that you're not serving time somewhere because you couldn't resolve something amicably before you went before a judge that might be unrighteous and gives you a bad ruling. Just give it to the Lord. He'll always give you a good ruling. The arbitration. Now, some things are unavoidable because you, some things you just got to fight for them because there's battles we're called to fight. But you still give it to the Lord. And when you go through those things, the ability to forgive, to be gracious and not malicious is of the highest importance. That that character of Christ, that will of God for our life, that who is that faithful servant? The one who has not been embittered or become malicious, but the one who seeks to be a peacemaker, to make things right, to forgive those who've used them, who loves their enemies, forgives their enemies, and blesses those who curse them. We've already saw that in Luke chapter 6. That's the person... When the Lord comes, he's going to look at you and go like, man, you're so awesome. You forgave those people for that. You let that go. Your treasure's in heaven. We're good. Hey, it's your day. Remember when I said through Psalm 139 that the days are appointed for you when there's yet there's none? And I, and I told you that there's, there are like the sands of the sea. The hourglass is empty. This is your day. I've come for you. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have reflected me to your generation. You have forgiven those who have maliciously maligned you. You have prepared your heart for this day, entered into the joy of your Lord, and now I'm going to show you what it's really all about from here to eternity. Welcome. Can't do better than that. Ready for the day of the Lord. Girded. Lamp burning. Ready. WG, that's how we're meant to live. Amen? Yeah, Lord, we thank you for your word here tonight. Keeping our lamp trimmed and burning, as dear old Mansfield used to say. Keeping your lamp trimmed and burning. Girded. Lamp trimmed and burning. Man, Lord, we just need to live with the consciousness of the moment that we are in eternity. Eternity is right there. It's right in front of us. Many of us in this room have watched people step into eternity. Many of us have almost stepped into eternity more than once. And we will all be going there. So, Lord, my prayer for us tonight in the congregation of worship generation, that our waists would be girded and our lamps would be burning. That much more well-girded, that much clearer burning. That we would be the blessed whom the master comes and finds watching. We would be the blessed that the master made ruler over those things. That we would embrace embrace to whom much is given. We wouldn't be afraid to be given much. We would embrace the moment. We'd want the ball in our hands with the game on the line. We would embrace the moment in character, in faith, in conviction for your glory, Lord. 
that we would say, here we are, Lord, send us, like Isaiah said, and we would be brave and courageous like David, and we would embrace the moment like Esther, Lord, like Deborah, we'd rise up and be that judge. We'd be whatever you need us to be, and whatever the accountability is, we would not shrink back from it because you are calling us to it. We'd rise up, we'd put our boots on, and we'd go to work. We'd get up with a migraine, and we open that door at 7.15 because that's who we are, and that's what we're called to do on this day. Lord, let us not fear the division. Let us discern properly the times and seasons we live in, and let us be at peace with all people as much as is up to us. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.